This episode of Tundra Talk is brought to you by Frontier Outfitters. You've heard us mention them on the podcast before, and if you're in Fairbanks or you're going to be coming through Fairbanks for a fishing, hunting, or camping trip, it's a great place to stop and get what you need. It's a locally owned Fairbanks business that I've been shopping at since I came up here, and really it's the type of sporting goods store you would hope to find in a place like Fairbanks. They've got a ton of hunting, fishing, trapping, and camping supplies, including backpacking meals and stoves, clothing, real rain gear, good footwear, including mountain hunting boots like Loa, rubber boots like Extra Tufts and Lacrosse, and they also have a great selection of guns, ammo, shooting and hand loading supplies, and even muzzle loading stuff. Now, they also carry a wide variety of fishing and dip netting equipment to tackle just about any fish Alaska has to offer. In Century Hardware downstairs, you'll be able to find a big selection of marine, snow machine, and ATV supplies like ramps, hitches, gun boots, um, good gas jugs, not the junk you find everywhere else, and all sorts of odds and ends for your boat or anything else you could need, and of course, whatever hardware you might find yourself in need of. In fact, it's one of those stores that you'll usually end up leaving with more than you planned on buying because they're really good at finding and stocking things that you just didn't realize you needed until you saw them. Frontier Outfitters is located in the Gavora Mall on 3rd and Old Steese in Fairbanks, as well as Century Hardware out in North Pole. It's a great store, so next time you're gearing up, get on down there and tell them you heard about it on Tundra Talk. This episode of Tundra Talk is also brought to you by Hedgecock Group Real Estate, a local brokerage that can cover your real estate needs in the Fairbanks area, whether it's residential, commercial, or just undeveloped property. The Hedgecocks have been active in the Fairbanks and North Pole real estate market since the early 80s and have put together a team that really reflects the diverse needs of homebuyers in interior Alaska. With a brokerage team made up of multi-generation Fairbanks locals, transplants, and military veterans, they really understand the unique aspects of living in the interior and what that means when it comes to shopping for a home in general, buying land to build a home, and they also understand the situations that many military members are in when needing to buy or sell a home in Fairbanks. This is really a unique place to live, and whether it's learning why some houses have water holding tanks instead of wells, how much it'll cost to heat a given house, or just what recreational opportunities are close by, they're here to help you. More than simply acquiring or building a piece of property, they can help you find the right property in the right place and help you learn from their experience. The Hedgecock Group offices are on Noble Street in Fairbanks, and if you want to get in touch with them, visit www.fairbanksakhomes.com. That's how you do it. All right, welcome back to Tundra Talk, everyone. I am Tyler Friel. Um, very excited this evening to sit down with my buddy John Whipple, who has been on the. He, you were like OG on the podcast. That was. A cut, well, you know, two and a half, three years ago, um, we went. John was my camera guy on on our the goat hunt we went on, and we both got goats. And so, yeah, I think well, I can't remember what episode it was, but it was a, it was quite quite a while back. It was pretty early on, yeah. And I think I've seen I've seen you at Shot Show once or twice since then. And you know, John lives in still live in Anchorage, Wasilla, Palmer, area. Palmer, yeah, yeah. nice, and. Uh, yeah, bumped into you at SCI at the SCI at the SCI right. show a little bit, but uh, that's the irony is we both live in Alaska, yeah. but I've seen you more out of the state than in the state. I think in the yeah. last few years, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty it's pretty sad. It's uh, 
I don't know, in some ways it's like, you know, it's obviously like, obviously the biggest state, but some ways it's small and some ways like you still, I mean, shoot, I haven't, I haven't left Fairbanks in a year and a half since, uh, (laughs) since what, like SHOT Show, because SHOT Show got canceled last year, the year before. 2020 shot show 2020 shot barely show. 2020 yeah that's right? the last time i left town yeah. so uh yeah. aside from you know going on hunting trips and stuff but yeah i haven't been haven't been very haven't gotten any more civilized that's for <laughs> sure but yeah man so you're uh john yeah is uh was you were doing a lot of freelance video and stuff and you you gotta catch one of them cushy state jobs now huh yeah yeah i had to uh, it really worked out well. I was uh, doing freelance photography and videography mostly in that hunting space, and it was a blast. I was ha- I was really having a great time and doing a little guiding and just really enjoying my freedom. And then this job opportunity came up with the state, and I was hemming and hawing because I was like, eh, who, who wants to give up all, all their yeah. freedom and getting to travel and do, go on hunts and get paid for it, mm-hmm. right? Um. But I ended up accepting the job, and then two weeks later, kind of like you said, haven't been at, you haven't traveled in a year and a half? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, two weeks later, COVID hit, and I was like, oh, man, that was good timing. Well, and that, I mean, that shot, that, well, that shot show, because I remember when I bumped into you, you were with, like, the Black Rifle mm-hmm. Coffee Gate. You were shooting stuff for them. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think it was at the Kimber booth. I don't know why I was why I yeah. remember stupid details like that, but uh, and I use I shoot for Kimber as well or oh, did nice. at that time. So yeah. that's probably why we were chatting there. <laughs> nice. Um but yeah, that was a yeah, talk about a, a world where that was kind of right at the end of of life as we knew it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The last normal uh <laughs> month for a yeah, long time yeah stuff's still not normal but uh yeah and that's and you know in your job sounds like is still in your kind of creative space yeah uh videography and yep still doing uh marketing photo video work still getting outside a lot just helping uh farmers and ranchers in alaska like alaska grown program stuff like oh, that, nice. helping promote agriculture in the state which is yeah it's been fun nice that's cool um you know i don't know how, how I would ask, like, it, does it seem like to you, like there's more agriculture around than you, than you think there would be or less? I mean, cause obviously driving around, you're like, man, there's nothing here, but a lot of times there's, I mean, it's a big state. There's hole in the wall stuff that you wouldn't even think about. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I grew up working on farms as a kid to make my spending money. Yeah. Um, you know, picking carrots and stuff like that to buy my first hunting rifles. And, well, that you was kind of, well, but, that was kind of what, you know, Palmer, Wasilla area, what, you know, started out as, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Historically in the thirties, that was a bunch of folks coming up to, to settle farmland. Yeah. But and in working this job, I've definitely seen, oh man, there's a lot of industry tucked away back here and there. Nice. We actually have a pretty, pretty thriving uh, agricultural scene and it's, it's been fun to to try to help out with it yeah no that's awesome man and i've been getting to help stand up a bear safety uh class within the dnr oh, world, gotcha. world, which has been fun to just to bring bring my hunting and gun side <laughs> nice even even into the state job which has been good we can it's a it's a good excuse to be able to bring guns to work anytime you can anytime you can mix mix business and pleasure <laughs> like that yeah, it's, exactly it's uh which i you know i mean that's what attracted us to like the, what we were 
right. doing anywhere, whether it's the writing or, you know, I've done my own meager video stuff and, you know, all the, I don't know, guys like us, it seems like all, there's definitely people that, that, uh, you know, I don't know. It's like not say they don't enjoy hunting, but they like choose hunting to be a means to an end. Mm-hmm. Whereas that's like the the job, the uh, the the work part of it is a means to get to go hunting more. Bingo! Yeah, exactly. And it's cool to live at a time where there's so many opportunities to make that your job, right? Yeah. Like uh, yourself doing outdoor writing, you know, and and video work and. Uh, man, you know, whether it's guiding or writing or photo or video, there's there's a lot of opportunity out there. If you're a go-getter, you know, and you're doing what you love, a lot of times that stuff kind of just falls in your lap. It's a hard, seems like it's a hard job to just say, you know what, when you're 18, this is the path I want to go as a freelance writer or photographer. Like, what's the track for that? Oh, gosh. Oh, it's impossible. Like, it's, it's <laughs> like how do you get your foot in the door? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, and people have asked me over the years, you know, because, you know, oh, how'd you, how'd you, you know, I want to get started doing this. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. It kind of, <laughs> right. I got lucky. It just fell in my lap, really. I mean, it was, you know, like I'd been sheep hunting some and stuff like that. But it, it literally just fell in my lap. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know what to say about it other than I just was extremely fortunate. And, uh, and but yeah, like setting out to pursue that stuff you know, more power to you if it's something, you know, if, if that's what people want to do, that's, that's awesome. It's, it's difficult though. I mean, even, even with everything lining up for you, it's difficult sometimes, you know, I, I've found over the years and it it wasn't because, you know, growing up, like I'm sure you read, read all sort of hunting magazines and stuff and you you build, you build this image of like, and I always thought, oh, it'd be so cool to be that guy, and and you you know just eat up all these stories. It's never into it never ends up being what you think it's going to be like, and which is not bad or good, not bad or good. Um, but you know, so in some ways, it's kind of disappointing, you know, when you find out that oh yeah, not just because you're an out writer, outdoor writer doesn't mean you know anything, or you're like some hardcore hardcore hunter or anything like that um it's just different and you and i found you have to like diversify what you're able to do you know like it and luckily i've had editors that have been patient with me you know i had to learn to do basic video editing and it's like the more i could add to my skills and really try to improve you know the more valuable you become because the less work they have to do right Um, exactly you learn to wear a lot of hats so that you are attractive to, to work with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. And it seems, I guess my advice for folks that are interested in that would be just if you, if you, if you love it, at least for these kind of creative type jobs, yeah. you know, that just do what you love to do. Just do it anyway. If it's stuff that you're going to be doing anyway, like for us hunting. Yeah. Right. And you know, stuff connected to hunting. And uh, for people who love photography or love writing, like, just write. Yep. Just take pictures. And a lot of times it falls into place, you know. And that's that's hard for a business model. You're like, oh, what's my th- three-year plan? Um. Yeah. It's almost <laughs> like, you, you know, it's almost like you – and most of that time I was working construction, too. It's almost like, you know, some like life ha- happens, you know, you can't – 
you can't avoid it. Very few people are ever going to just have a trust fund or a cash cow that lets them just pursue their hobbies yeah. from the from the start. You know, you may have to work a job that's your job, and then that's your no, that's your fun job or your your you know your your hobby. And you know, you never know. Sometimes you probably won't ever you know outdoor stuff. Typically, you're probably never going to make a lot of money at, but you can certainly. You know, if you're if you're willing to scrape and scrap at it, you can eventually make yourself some kind of living. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> feed your feed your addiction a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's uh, and it was one of the things. You know, I, I probably said it on the podcast, which it's plenty outdated to repeat now. But one of the things is John. You know, I had a deal to do. You know, get these videos done on a mountain goat hunt um, for outdoor life and you know, kind of a deal to write a story about it and whatnot. But, uh, God, we need a professional photographer, videographer to come along. And especially when you're talking Alaska stuff, like it's not, it's a little bit of a hitch. (laughs) You know, just a lot of times that'll involve sending up, sending a guy up or gallop, whatever, from, from down south. And stuff like, you know, hunts like that aren't really what you want to, you know, tip, I mean, typically you never want to go on something like, hey, you know, you meet them in the airport and then you're going going on a goat hunt by yourself with them. <laughs> I, you know, remember stressing out, out, out to my editor, Alex, and I was appreciated that, um, you know, we I didn't have any qualms about you because you, you know, grew up, I knew you grew up doing the stuff. So, like, it's, it, and it's interesting mixing the videography or that technical side of stuff with the stuff you have to deal with to just complete a hunt like that. You know, that's a totally different aspect too. It really is. And you have to think, all right, now what are my priorities? Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause I mean, hunting's complicated enough and then you add in this whole filmmaking side to it and like, geez, yeah. ridi- it gets, it gets ridiculous. And sometimes you have to dis- make those decisions ahead of time. And we had talks like that, like, all right, when push comes to shove, which one's more important, right? Like yep. getting the shot or getting the shot? Yeah. You know, like <laughs> that kind of thing. Yep. No, it 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 was it ended up being a being a fantastic time. Um and I don't even know where I was going with that, man. My train of <laughs> my train of thought lately like just will pull out of the station at any given any any given minute, but uh it's good memories. I oh, want yeah. I know I wanted to pick your brain since we both uh, kind of um, you know, I've done a little bit of work with, with outdoor life and that's how we met. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, and you're well ensconced in it. What, what are your thoughts on this transition to digital for it, those, those who haven't heard that's, yeah, that's kind of where they're going. They just made an announcement. It's pretty disappointing. Um, pretty disappointing to me. And I think everybody in general, like, I mean, the whole edit staff, like everyone likes a print magazine. Like I got a whole shelf full of decades of them stack there you know um and like the basic skinny is that bonnier corporation who had been publishing outdoor life for quite a while sold it sold sold outdoor life and field and stream to um a different publisher who primarily specializes in digital content and stuff like that so um and they just released at this they did you know and they already had plans to do this Alaska issue and then it kind of got like kicked back a little bit cuz everybody they got to decide what's going on what's going to happen what's the future going to look like and as of now they're all digital and not print 
Um, and so this issue is like a digital issue that you, you know, you can do. And even if you have a mail subscription, they like sent out cards you can like scan and then you with your phone or whatever and then or go on enter a code something sure, like that and then pull or up, yeah. and you can pull up these issues online which you know in some ways it's really cool in other ways it's just like why not just do some sort of website portal where these i, I don't know it's kind of like I never like look at my phone and like, all right, I'm going to go flip through a book. You know, I read a lot. I, I like read a lot of articles and stuff on my phone, but it's all, it's not like I expect it to be a magazine cause it's not, mm-hmm. you know, like they, they did some really cool illustrations. Like I had an article about, you know, kind of about Frank Glazer and, um, some of my, you know, like quoting a lot of some of his stories from the Jim Reardon's book and it, well, and also, um, stories that were in because a lot of stories in Reardon's book were also published in Outdoor Life. And I think I have cop hard copies of all of those. So cool. And uh oh yeah, that's super cool. But I kinda intertwined it with t- talking about telling the story of my buddy Frank and I's um Dr. Schultz's sheep hunt when he first drew Delta were hunting in the same country, literally like a hundred years almost to the day from when Frank Glasser very first started market hunting like the first time he climbed up the hill and went sheep hunting you know up from black rapids down there so yeah i mean that was all coincidence that happened to be you know that we he got that we were there right then but as i'm the last time i read through that book flipping through i was like you know it's like all right left he was working some mining job in july of 1915 and then quit that and decided to go down and be a market hunter. And so, like, August-ish, 1915, he started hunting down in Black Rapids, when, which is literally 100 years, like, to the month from when we were there. That's just crazy to think about. That's super cool. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, and who, know, who knows what will happen. It's It sucks, and everybody's disappointed about it, but that's kind of, like, the the world just is not like they couldn't can't make any money on print you know and for you know everyone will say yeah i prefer to have a print magazine but how many people are buying it you know how many people are going and buying one that's what it comes down to right like how many people i mean i i i've definitely uh you know been buying outdoor life magazines because i i'm engaged like i'm like oh my photo's in there i want i want that magazine but I read a lot more articles, outdoor life articles that are, you know, popping up on Facebook, you know, that you yeah. share or whatever yeah. than I do in the actual magazine. Yeah. Consuming the contents I like gotta be honest. is, is easier. You don't get the same nostalgia. Right. And you never will out of digital stuff, but it, it is interesting and it did hold on longer um, than I thought. Cause it was, it was literally, it was uh like shot show 2011 where, um, sorry, <laughs> um, shot show 2011 was the first, is right. Like my first year writing for him. All this was like big, huge new world for me. And I remember like listening to their every, every year at shot show, they would give, you know, presentations on like the status of the magazine and the plans for next year. And, at that point, they were like, in five years, there will be no print magazines. Yeah. You know, and that's the way it was looking. It didn't quite turn out like that. I mean, it is moving that direction. Um, 
and there's always, I think, some exceptions, but I, I'm no marketing whiz on when it comes <laughs> to print to print magazines. But you know, the, the math is what it is, and companies, if they can't make money on something, they gotta adapt and keep going. And you know, I'm still it. You know, as far as it goes for me, I'm able to do a little bit more, get a little bit more work, even if it looks somewhat different. But you know, the content is just as easier easier to to get and consume even if it isn't quite as cool. <laughs> right. Well, that's good to hear. And, I mean, yeah, that's just the way of things, that, that the digital world, and it's affecting newspapers and print media of all kinds. You know? Yeah. And advertising is different now, which yep. is what paid for all those papers oh, yeah. and magazines, right? You know? Yep. And so, yeah, we just live in a different time. I have to pivot and move yeah. on. But it, it's, it's sad. You know, outdoor life has been around for so long. It's such a... That was like 1898 when it went into print. Yeah. And so to see, see it, it's not falling by the wayside by any means, but it, you know, it's, it's a bummer to see that. Yeah. I mean, it's one that you would think would be like one of the very last, um, but yeah, so it sucks. But with that, like, I think, you know, Outdoor Life has a pretty strong edit staff and, and have been doing pretty good at like pumping out you know, good content as far as good reading material. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I think, I think they've still got, and then there's my stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but yeah, total, totally different world. You just got to keep, keep pivoting. And I mean, you know, even stuff like, like podcasts. Now it feels like I've been doing a podcast for forever. I still have no idea what I'm doing, but you know, I'm at the time it was just, brand new and even just seeing how it's i felt like i was late in the game right getting started when i did and just seeing how much stuff's changed and moved since since i started it's it's interesting it's it's yeah growing by leaps and bounds yeah and and i was so glad when you when you told me you know that you're yeah i'm thinking about starting a podcast yeah. i was like yes because because there was there wasn't that in alaska right There's, no there really there was only a handful of hunting real decent hunting podcast period of any kind yeah and nothing for alaska which is as everybody knows as uh, certainly your listeners know it's it's a different perspective up here oh yeah it totally <laughs> is you know i almost and, and mine was almost out of annoyance i'm like surely i can do that you know because all you would hear is at least you know interior stuff you know it's just like oh we went on our 10-day trip and it, like it's nothing wrong with hearing about that it's cool Mm-hmm. I, I was like hearing about people's trips, but it's it's just a different perspective, and we it is yeah the little bites instead of a lifestyle yeah and you know we just would go could go on the same trip as someone who isn't from who doesn't live here and see the thing totally different right so right I don't know yeah we just try to have it, most of the time it ends up just shooting the shit and having a good time and you know try to try to plug some useful information in there but. uh <laughs> It's, I've really, really enjoyed doing it and yeah, I have no plans to, no plans to stop. So. Well, that's good. Oh, speaking of just shooting the shit, I was going to ask you if I've got, a uh, some guns in front of me, including this magazine of, uh, 10 mil rounds. It's bear season still. And, uh, I wanted to, I wanted to pick your brain, right? Yeah. Uh, one of the other hats that I wear, speaking of having to wear lots of hats as a creative, is a firearms instructor and and we do a lot of bear training yeah and so we get a ton of questions like hey what 
what gun you know is best for bear what's the mm-hmm. best gun, bear gun what's the best bear load and uh i've always been of the opinion at least when it comes to pistols they're all too small yep <laughs> none of them are good for bears and so really what it comes down to is for me for pistols is you have to you have to meet two criteria one is that you have the minimum amount of penetration required to get to like uh, the brain, the brain essentially, or the spinal or, column or correct. something. Yeah. Yep. And so you have to have enough velocity and and a quality enough bullet to, to pull that off, get that minimum penetration, and then shootability. Right? Oh, yeah. Like being able to hit what you're aiming at, right? Yeah. That that's really those are the two things I look at. Um, and I'm I'm seeing that you're using these uh, Lehigh penetrators. Yeah. And I have not played with these at all, and I'm super curious about them. I'd love to get your thoughts on these. Yeah, I like them. And those ones, well, and I mean, to backtrack, it's, that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty much exactly how I feel like any, when you consider, you know, obviously it's shooting a bigger bullet and there's some things that are different, but a 500 Smith & Wesson only has like about the energy of a thirty thirty. Right. You know, like, and that's any, a five hundred Smith and Wesson. Yeah, you know, like obviously they carry a heavier bullet, and it's gonna, you know, probably punch a deeper cavity. But we're talking similar mm-hmm. energy levels here, and it's gonna be way less shootable than your lever action thirty thirty, like our buddy Rob <laughs> talking about on the last one. I they got um, charged by they got we're coming up on a bait or my buddy Frank was climbing up the bank. It's a steep bank up to this bait, got charged by a black bear and shot it in the face at like 12 feet. Nice. And they were taking pictures of that bear. And another one came in and started <laughs> huffing and stomping the ground and swatting. And so Rob had his 30, 30 and he shot that one in the chest and then it takes off just full board, you know, wasn't, it was more just like running in the direction it was pointed, I think. Yeah. But running right at him and, boom, you know, shoots it again. And I was telling Frank, I sent him a little, uh, video of um like the intro to that old that old tv series the rifleman oh yeah where it's like the rifleman and he's just got his <laughs> lever gun just <laughs> i was like that's what i envisioned rob being like up there. <laughs> um anyway yeah when you're talking like talking about having the defensive situation with a bear what's good enough is you pull the trigger and the bear's on the ground well, right. Or right. Ultimately, that's yeah. what you're going for. Yeah, like I mean, that's yeah, that's the goal, the threshold. So it's yeah, I don't, I don't know. Handgun is really adequate. It's just the best of a poor situation as far as I look at it. When you know, so anyway, um, those bull, those are the, the ten millimeter Lehigh. They're I think they're the hundred forty grain Lehigh Extreme okay. Defense. The pen. I have some of the penetrators, and they're like. The bullet's basically shaped like a Phillips head screwdriver. Yeah. The penetrators is like a little thicker, thicker, um, smaller flutes on the on the Phillips mm-hmm. head, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. The penetrator, the defense bullets have a little bit deeper flutes, which will reduce the overall penetration slightly. But those flutes give you in a like solid machine copper bullet they produce a wound cavity more like a hollow point um, just in the fluid, the way it directs fluids um, with those flutes. And they, they uh, do really good at hard barrier penetration. Like, okay. And that's what some like, so their nine millimeter loads are like black Hills ammo, honey mm-hmm. badger. 
is a nine millimeter or well, they have several different but it's it's a lehigh bullet that's designed for high like you know hard barrier penetration but also to give not give up performance like in the uh yeah, in soft, on tissue. soft tissue on the back end sure and they sure penetrate i mean i i I don't know. I, I to quantify it, you know. I like. I can't remember how I I screwed a bunch of like one by fours together one time and see, saw how many it would. But I didn't really. I didn't have it anchored and stuff like that. So, sure. but they do. I mean, they like. They seem to pen. You know, the just odds and ends I've shot with them. They penetrate as good as anything else I've tried. I mean, okay. I mean, I'd say certainly adequate. Adequate. They may not give you as deep a penetration as like a hot, you know, hard cast two twenty. But the recoil's way less too, okay. because they're a lighter bullet, and you know, being solid copper, they're going to be lighter than the same size lead bullet. Um, and you can get them. I know Underwood Ammo loads them, and I think yep, it's like you do. know, ext- I think this bullet in particular is their Extreme Hunter load. I think is what they call it. Okay. Um, but I really like them. I mean, I, I think it's a good balance between shootability and. And, uh, penetration, you know, and you, you are, you know, you're typically going to get a little bit more dramatic wound cavity than, than with just a a lead solid, which is what hard cast bullet, which is what is kind of, I guess the standard, you know, any handgun you're, you're not doing, you're not going to get the catastrophic cavitation that you are, that you are with a, with a, with a, any, you know, a rifle, even, you know, a 308 is going to be better than any handgun, you know, and p- part of that is because it takes a certain velocity, takes like 2,200 feet per second or something like that to get that violent cavitation and like energy dump and whatnot, you know, which it's not like the shock is what kills them, but, you know, the bigger, the nastier the, the wound cavity and more energy you can dump in them, the better the chance you're going to, you know, hit something catastrophic. Right. I guess if that makes sense. Right. But yeah. Um, so that's interesting you know, to me that having not killed a bear with them, I know they will, they will go through a bear's head. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask if you'd shot any actual animals with them yet. Just dead. Oh yeah. Yeah. You throw a few rounds in dead ones just to see what they yeah. do. Yeah. That's always a no brainer, right? You yeah. Take, oh, well, <laughs> we've got this nice test subject here. Let's, right there. <laughs> let's take advantage. Not a Pope and Young one, though. Not one that I was going to get measured for the book, because once they have a bullet in them, <laughs> once they have a bullet hole in them, it don't count. Right. Cool. All but, right. Yeah. No, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's a good option anyway. You know, like I was telling you, I've got some of that, which who knows, you know, like the way ammo is lately. I did get, like, four boxes of that federal premium solid core, which is yeah, just, a, stuff, it's a right? 200 grain hard cast um, coated with their like Syntec coating. It's basically just a coating that, that is like a low fouling coating without having to use like gas checks or, or wax, you know, on those bullets. Cause you know, you can't probably, you know, contrary to pop, some popular belief, you can shoot hard cast bullets through a Glock 20. Um, they yeah. just are going to foul up. You want to clean it and you want to, you know, use a good solvent and clean the lead out of there. You know, I don't know if it would ever get to the point where it would actually blow up your overpressure and blow up your barrel because of lead fouling. You know, I'd have a hard time believing that totally, but um, certainly your accuracy would be affected right. by right. it. Um, yeah, that is, I mean, that, yeah, I've never worried too much about shooting lead cast out of out of my yeah. Glocks. Although... Anytime. 
I will say one thing a lot of people don't realize as we've, you know, we're talking about bear guns and, and I feel like in Alaska, more and more people are moving, uh, this direction, you know, the 10 mil yeah. kind of semi-automatic, uh, sidearm instead of the classic 444 Magnums and 454 yeah. Casuals. And I, which I think is awesome. I'm, I'm carrying a Glock these days for uh, bear protection. Um, a 460 Roland, not yeah, not a 10 mil, uh, so a little more oomph. But which the 460 is a, it's a stretched out 45 yep. ACP case. Correct. So it's between like it'd be like between a 40 45 ACP and 45 Win Mag. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's really it's just under higher pressure as yeah. all it is. Oh, gotcha. I think basically, they make the case longer so you don't put them in a normal yeah, 45. That makes sense. Um, but one thing that uh, worries me a little bit as people start moving more and more to running these Glock 20s and for bears is a lot of people don't realize the Glock barrels are the factory Glock barrels have an unsupported chamber. Yeah. And, um, it makes them so reliable, right? That's one of the great things about them. However, if you're shooting super high pressure bear loads there, sometimes it blows the gun up. Yeah. And (laughs) you know, and I've heard, cause I know that a long time ago that was, that was a big issue. I've heard that they've altered those barrels, you know, I could be wrong. I've heard that they've altered those barrels now to where they're, you know, like semi-supported or not just, not just a full unsupported chamber. Um, you know, yeah, obviously, you know, in, in the stuff we're talking about, either like crazy hot hand loads or, or, um, the the buffalo bore heavy duty stuff is very high. It's beyond Sammy specs. And I don't think you really even need or gain that much by using ultra high pressure loads. You know, um, you know, if in if you're in doubt, you can just get a lone wolf barrel or and I think that's the or key. another barrel. You and know, they're they're not expensive. No, hundred hundred fifty bucks. Drop it right in there. You yeah. get a little bit more precision. You want to break them in for sure. You know, you don't get quite the forgiveness that you do with a uh, with a factory Glock barrel. But. Right. Well, and that's, so that's my other reason. The Glock, I feel like is only, or, or something like that, whatever, yeah. Springfield or a, a 1911 of some kind that's in 10 mil. That's only a good idea if you're shooting the gun a lot, because that's the whole argument for taking that gun is like, I'm sacrificing power for yep. shootability, but shootability doesn't count if you don't go and practice. <laughs> yeah. No, and, <laughs> right? and, like, and that's a big hitch that gets people and even myself, you know, hand, like shooting hand, if you think shooting your hunting rifle is a perishable skill, like shooting handguns, any handgun, like you want to know how you want to like go feel pretty crappy about yourself and see how bad you suck. Just like go, you know, go do different drills or whatever with a handgun. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's very perishable and it, that's and that, yeah, that is one of the, uh, one of the good things about a 10 mil is it's it's easier to shoot and in you know all you know modern circumstances aside easier to get you know cheaper to get ammo for right right. and uh and just an easier overall gun to to shoot very frequently and even if you have you know a glock 17 or something that you're practicing with nine mil you know some of that carries over too as long as you're shooting something similar <laughs> most of that carries over that's one of the big reasons i switched over from a 44 mag to that 460 yeah. roland is because i was carrying a glock 19 every day yeah uh for just personal defense and i was like 
this just makes sense. All the fundamentals are the same. The gun works the same. The trigger feels the same. Yep. Um, you know, your grip angle and the way they exactly. point's the same. Yep. Yep. You know, which it's it's almost funny. For some reason, I I feel like my Glock 19's almost a little a little smoother shooting than my Glock 17. My Glock, my, like my Glock's, you know, I say this is, it's been a while since I've done more than casual practice with, with either one of those. But, um, yeah, I mean, and I'd souped up that 17, you know, springs and barrels and, and, uh, you know, pretty hard grind on the grip and, you know, stippled. I mean, it, it was a, a pretty good shooting pistol or still is, but, uh, for some reason, it, like the last few times I've shot, I was like, man, the, for some reason, the 19 feels smoother. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I've got plenty of issues, so well, it could just be me. <laughs> I think the main thing is they're just getting out there. Or, you know, in today's climate, no, hard to find ammo, just dry firing. Dry firing. Holster you know? drawn and dry firing is a big yeah. deal, yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, that's something I've ar- you know argued, too. Like, every time I see someone with, like, the cross draw, like buckled in oh, revolver gosh. holster. It's like, <laughs> you know, everything, this whole bear defense thing is a game of odds. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, odds are I'm not going to get attacked by a bear. If I'm going into it, like being, you know, either being stupid or go putting myself in a situation where, you know, like going into a bear bait where there's a high light, like high likelihood of having an encounter with a bear even if a dangerous encounter is still low, you know, I have a, a, a 338 or a 375 or a 4570 or something. Like I have a big rifle right. ready. In your hand. In my hand. Yeah. Like with a round in the chamber. <laughs> right. You know, it's like if you're, if a handgun is all that stands between you and getting chewed on, you're in a situation where you did not expect to get exactly. chewed on by a bear. And, uh, you know, back to the Glocks, you know, they're, just the ease of carry and how comfortable they are. I'm more likely to be carrying that than something big. I used to have a 480 Ruger Super Red Hawk. Oh man! You know, like boom, like, and I don't know. I just found it was a pain in the ass to carry anywhere and do anything with. Yeah, and I'm not going to get attacked when I'm expecting to get attacked, or right. have to use it when I expect to have to use it. So you know, naturally, I mean, even even old nine mil fill demonstrated that you know sometimes the gun you have is always going to be better than the one you don't amen <laughs> it uh well and I, and I not that long ago i did an article because i got to try out some of these uh um like micro nine millimeters yep. and like the one i've been carrying is that that kember single stack that micro nine and that thing's tiny i think it holds seven plus one but it's like it's a tiny little pistol and shockingly smooth shooting for that and the springfield hellcat's another one yeah that one will stack i mean it holds 30 or 12 plus one i think sounds right and it's uh i mean so basically you're holding almost as much as a full-size glock 19 yeah yeah and uh in a more compact package um and yeah it's not it's not what I would choose to carry, like yeah, if you as, know a you're ba- as a bear fight. defense type, <laughs> as a bear defense type gun. But I mean, just for in general hunting, especially in the lo- in a lot of the areas of the lower forty eight where you're not going to be dealing with grizzly bears and shit like that. Um, you know, you never know what kind of weirdos are around in the woods. There's all kinds of stuff happens. I mean, it's 
always prudent to have a gun with you and stuff like some of these mountain lion gets a little little kicked in the head by a deer or something and gets a little right. wonky on you you know something like a nine mil with you know honey you know lehigh bullets or solids or whatever like you're at least going to have a fighting chance better than <laughs> even nothing. on a bear you know at least you're going to have something at least when you stick your your hand down its throat you can pull the yeah trigger. you can pull the trigger <laughs> yeah it's uh and i don't know and that the whole bear defense thing's so it's fun to talk about because it's ultimately there's no conclusion that you can Right. There's no right. conclusive we can BS to the, place you can ever yeah. you can ever reach with it. It's like, oh well this happened. Like you know, I've written articles, you know, dispute you know, arguing the case for like using a ten mil or something, you know, something sure. shootable. And you know, the guy the guy I'm arguing with another outdoor writer that's you know, like give a hard time. We generally probably agree on most stuff, but there's a few things we disagree on vehemently. And like we'll use the same circumstance of a guy getting chewed on by a black bear down in New Mexico and end up killing it with his ten mil. Like we use that same he he used that circumstance to argue against it and I used right. to argue for it. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just how you look at a situation and considering the variables you might encounter. I don't know, it's it's fun. Um you guys, because uh, now the state, I was gonna bring it up, the state still primarily do like the twelve gauge. Oh yeah training with that yeah yeah definitely the old remington 870 is the is the go standby that's the grab one of them nope get on there yeah the 12 gauge is definitely the go-to and it's easier it's just easier to teach people that aren't gun people how to run one of those effectively as compared with a pistol the learning curve is so and if you if you can't comment as a state employee i don't oh no hurt my feelings (laughs) i from my opinion is that they use the 12 gauge because it's so easy to train because they're cheap. Oh yeah. Interchangeable, you know, totally interchangeable, easy to work on. Um, not necessary. Like I, I tend to, what I'm getting at is I think overall, like the 12 gauge is not a high power rifle. Mm. Now, see, I would, I would diverge a little bit on that. I think, um, now that being said, I've never killed a bear with a 12 gauge and I have killed bears with high powered rifles. Yeah. So again, going back to the, we can BS about this until yeah. the cows come home and uh, it's hard to, hard to have quantifiable evidence sometimes. But if I, I think if I was, you know, if you told me, you know, in a, you're going to have to kill a bear in a defensive situation, I would choose my Mossberg 590 yeah. 12 gauge. For the reason, you know, with, with proper, like, Brennecke three-inch slugs, right? The Brennecke Black Magic. Black Magic, yeah. yeah. Um, Which they do have some other slugs that are, like, pretty high-performance slugs that mm-hmm. are a little different than the Black Magic. But anyway, I, dig- I digress. <laughs> uh, and my my thought process for that is um, shootability and range. In the, if, yeah. And that's drawing the d- difference between hunting and defensive shooting, I guess, for yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, if we're in a hunting context, we um, we know where we are. We've chosen this area. It's probably not got other people around it. And, um, you know, if you're setting up a bait, you know, kind of know your backstops and all that kind of stuff. Whereas in a defensive scenario, you might be in someone's backyard or you might be yeah. on, a, on a trail somewhere. Um, 
So I I would so you're rather consider, you're considering more than just like how nasty this thing's going to be on the bear. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. I don't I I don't want to worry about a high power rifle round that could go four miles. Yeah. Right. Um, it's nice to know that that 12 gauge will do everything I need to do in a defensive scenario where I'm shooting 50 yards or inside. Yeah. Right? Um, but not go forever. Yeah. And then also, you know, running they are a, fast. A, running a pump is yeah. fast. You got a little higher capacity than most of your high powered rifles, right? You know, yeah. I've got a twenty inch barrel, and so um, that thing takes eight two and three quarter shells. You know, uh, seven three inch shells, which and these you are can run it quick. These I think are a little underrated. This Winchester SXP. You know, I, yeah, those things are fast. Hope you guys can hear a little. It was an ASMR. ASMR. The where you know there's those videos and and stuff on YouTube and other places where you have like these calming sounds that people oh. <laughs> listen to to just to like yeah. <laughs> like a babbling brook or uh... yeah. One season I did I was using that as my my bait and gun one season. Mm-hmm. I mean I think you know, obviously like if they were if they were totally inadequate they wouldn't have lasted so long as a bear sure. defense as a bear defense gun. Um, it was just interesting to me because you you know I always took I never questioned it even and then I think it was oh what a couple well one guy I knew that had to, they had shot a few bears with them Brennicky slugs like black bears hunting context type stuff and we're like man them things were so so peppered full of holes it's like they're like we're not impressed <laughs> interesting and then talk to talking to one of the guys who is with fishing game who was in on the uh, when they when they poleaxed all them grizzly bears out of a helicopter out by McGrath sure. years ago, when, yep. you know, which that was a whole can of worms because everyone's oh like, why don't you let hunters come to it? It's like, well, we can't get enough hunters up there because the logistics of it, like they're just, it's, the you know, we are... need to remove all these bears from this area, like, like it or not, <laughs> to meet our management objective anyway. He said, uh, he said they, you know, he wasn't, who I taught, you know, personal opinion anyway, or from observation they're like yeah i was not impressed with how effective they were and it's all relative every situation is different and different angles um right but it i i don't know i look at it like 12 gauge slugs uh, even the brennicky is like very big handgun <laughs> yeah like yeah. you know they you you can shoot them better than a handgun which is you know mm-hmm. as valuable as anything and, you know, a gigantic, you know, whatever ounce and a quarter ounce slug. Yeah, 600 grain slug. Going, yeah. you know, 1,500. Uh, I can't remember the velocities. Some of them are a little faster than some of them are like yeah. 1,800 maybe. Yeah, I think I feel like those three-inch Brennickies are pushing right around 2,000-ish, but I don't remember. I'll have to, we'll have to go but, check. I've got a box. Oh, good. Maybe yeah. I better go grab one. Just go quick. grab one. Our well, listeners well, want to know. Yeah, you just talked to yourself for a <laughs> He's going to run and uh, see if we can rustle up that uh, ammo here. What I am hoping to do, I have not had time to bait at all this spring, but next spring, I think it would be fun to try to do a little unofficial testing at the bear bait. I think that bear baits make it possible to... Uh, do some some informal testing where all right let's take the 460 rolling and try to shoot a couple bears on the bait you know and take a 12 gauge and try to shoot a bear or two on the bait and just see how it works out oh I think yeah that'd be pretty interesting yeah and it's uh i just 
need to to take the time to do it, you know. I always get so wrapped up in, oh, I want to shoot this one with my bow and that, and I've got to do some stuff, you know, like I shot a couple, uh, I shot the first black bear last year with my bow and then two with the muzzle loader. Yeah. And, um, so I got to do some experimenting, you know, like I, I need to just shoot one, a live one. Well, I don't like shooting, <laughs> trying to shoot stuff in the head with a pistol, you know, but, you know, shoot one in the ribs or, you know, wait for the right one to climb up the tree and put iron to, <laughs> iron to the noggin. The, uh, the Bernie keys are 1502. 1502. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's pretty far off then. Um, but yeah, so the, like, that's the only thing sometimes I'm like, yeah, they just don't have quite the velocity where I think, uh, you know, even 338 is not the huge one, but I got these 250 grain round noses loaded. Okay. Hot. They're like, it's like 73 grains of reloader 19. They're like, um, what were they like 26 something nice you know moving pretty good nice. i think my my 375 ruger i've got 300 grain dgx's going 2700 like i mean mm-hmm. not not too far off from the 338 loads mm-hmm. but um they'll hit stuff the last the last like brown bear i was shooting back up for was a was right about a 10 foot bear hit him Above the tail, went through them end to end. That's awesome. So That's saying like, something. Oh, yeah. That'll work. <laughs> That'll work. But, uh. Yeah. And yeah. don't get me wrong. If, I, if I'm if i going looking for bears, I'm picking up the 375. Yeah. That's just, that's the gun I grab. You yeah. Know? And, he, well, and even, a, you know, a 4570, like you can, you can hand load it, say in a modern, you know, lever action, you can hand load a 4570 pretty pretty damn hot i sure. think this one i got 400 grain um spear jacketed flat noses um going like 19 something okay nice like fast it hurts i bet oh. that kind of wallops you a little <laughs> it wallops bit. you pretty good <laughs> but million and oh the the one other thing i was going to tell you this um this winchester sxp it's just a pump 12 gauge it's like a pretty it's compared you know almost like that Mossberg 500, 870 class of shotgun. Sure. It can, I can, that thing functions with those, cycles those Aguila or the Federal mini shells. Yep. It functions them pretty, it runs them pretty flawlessly. And I think I can put like 10 of them in there. Oh gosh. (laughs) And so, you know, I get like, you know, I've got a mix of slugs and number four buck, even just number four buck for like a home defense type Mm -hmm. deal where you may not necessarily want a ton of just oomph. Yeah, right. right. You know, it's a pretty... You haven't played with those little shorties at all. I don't I don't even know if they would run to my gun or not. I know the, uh, I think the, the Mossbergs and the Remingtons, you know, because they, they developed, you know, I don't know, developed them for, but they came around about the same time as the, like the shockwave, the old, uh, sure. the, the shotgun that's not really a shot, the short barrel shotgun that's the not other really a shotgun. The fire other arm. firearm. <laughs> Which it's so silly how it's good to see the innovation. It and is like people pushing the limits because I, I don't know. I'm one of those guys that's like, you know, like, well, how pro Second Amendment are you? And it's like driving the M1 Abrams home, you know? Yes. Um, but especially when it comes to stuff like that, it's, it's so frustrating. It's stupid. And then, like, you know, the whole brace stuff oh. recently, it's like, oh, you know. 
oh yeah, braces are totally fine. Oh no, they're not. Oh now you got a short barrel rifle. Blah blah blah. You and know, it's so arbitrary. That's which, probably I, the most frustrating thing about it for me. Oh yeah, it's arbitrary and it's it's all political. You know, it's bureaucrats. I see it anyway. Like a lot of our like land issues and stuff like that up here, it's bureaucrats using the system to push you agenda. Know, using the system to push their agenda. Yeah, and it's transparent. It's really yeah. obvious that that's the case, and so you just, I guess, you either support that agenda or you don't. Uh, we, but we all know it's a game. Yeah, that we're playing, and especially going back to the gun stuff, it. I think a lot of people don't even realize that so much of that, like barrel length stuff. Yeah. Uh, or pistol brace stuff that goes back to the to the 1930s right yeah like that firearm act and they at that time wanted to ban all handguns too yeah. they wanted to ban every concealable firearm well so you know shotguns under a certain length and, rifles under a certain length and all pistols and they realized they that americans weren't giving up their pistols and so they pulled that out of the bill but those barrel links never got got pulled out as like yeah. i don't know if it was oversight or they're just like <laughs> well, the same thing as suppressors exactly you know? it was in that same like and fortunately it's good bill. to see it's good to see you know and it's it's been in a little over 10 years is 2020 yeah a little over 10 years um just the popularity and the just the knowledge that hey because when i was a kid i was like oh you can't get a silencer yeah like yeah. oh that's totally illegal and then even into it, you know, when I was a young adult, like in college, I didn't think you could get those. And then I happened to, you know, do one of the USPSA, I was shooting USPSA and happened to become friends with a guy that was a class three dealer. He's like, oh yeah, you can get one of those. Easy. <laughs> you know, which I, I, it's obviously we all think, and probably most people listen to this podcast think it's stupid that you have to jump through the hoops you do to get a muffler. 100%. That's like has a lot of positive characteristics to, you know, making shooting safer in some ways and more, more enjoyable. But, uh, well, we've both been to Africa in Africa and basically everywhere else in the world, a suppressor is just a safety device. You oh go, yeah. You go buy them down at the local, whatever shop. Oh yeah. You know, right? well in South Africa, I think they, he said they, depending on who you are, like what your, you know, pHs can get a certain, can own a certain number of firearms themselves. Right. But like the average person may be able to have one or two. Right. And you have to, you know, apply for the license and it, you know, it takes like, you know, six months, a year, whatever. And then like, that's it. You can't get any more. Right. You know, so it's, it's, but, you know, suppressors just over the counter. Yeah, that they don't blink about. Common thing, yeah. It's super common. I in I was in Namibia and RPH. I never looked up the laws myself, so this is filtered through his perspective. But he, the way he explained it to me was that they were allowed to have three guns, and that they were allowed to have one like big five gun, like yeah, heavy caliber, one mid size caliber. Um, for him, I was a 308. Yeah. And then one small caliber, he had a 223 or, you know, you could have a 22 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then that was it. And then you were also on top of that, you could apply for a pistol license and have a pistol. Yeah. And try and, but then you're done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's pretty different, you know, and, and on one hand you're like, you know, oh, we'll be thankful for what we got, but there's no arbitrary reason that 
you know, we, we shouldn't have it better <laughs> than we do in other places as well, too. Right. It's just, well, you know. Especially when it doesn't make any sense, right? From a, unless you're coming from the perspective of that agenda, like, oh, we don't like any of the guns. So whatever yeah. chips we can take off yeah. that block, we'll take. Uh, but if you're looking at it from like, a, hey, we want to stop crime, you know, and then you look at the statistics and say, oh, how many rifles are involved in crime? It's like 4% of gun shootings. Yeah. Gun shootings. That's a weird phrase. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, of, of criminal shootings, and you know, involving guns, you know, almost none of them are with rifles, you know, even and and rifles are way more common than pistols. The AR-15 is the most common rifle, right? And they're oh, yeah. almost never used uh, in crimes. And when they are. Uh, did having uh, that certain type of stock, you know, make a difference? Yeah. Right? <laughs> no, uh, yeah, there's a lot of that stuff that, yeah, is totally political and arbitrary. Believe me, my, yeah, like, growing up, we were, I don't know, I've heard all the conspiracy theories, <laughs> well-versed, but, sure, uh, sure. yeah, it's, you know, some stuff's just silly. Yeah, but it certainly feels that way. But I mean, I get it. You know, we we play that game on the other side of the fence too, to try and to, hey, we have our agenda, and we'll take whatever. Yeah, like a like a other firearm, like a shockwave. Yep. Oh yeah, you have right? people or pushing like the, the pistol limits braces. on both sides of the agenda. I mean, those pistol braces are stocks. Who are we yeah. kidding? Like we're not, nobody's strapping that to their forearm. Yep. Right. Um. So you know, I get it. We all play the game, but. <laughs> yep. But uh, yeah, speaking of when. When was it that you went to you went to Namibia? Uh, 2018. 2018, that's right. Because then it was, I think, 19 that I went. Yeah. And you're still having trouble getting your stuff back, huh? <laughs> I am. Thanks to COVID. We we had our stuff processed in Namibia. Oh, like tanned? And, uh, we had hides tanned and we had skulls cleaned. Okay. And um, so that automatically that pushed longer, our timeline yeah. out a little bit, right? So we were figuring six months or so and then ship it to an approved um, you know, taxidermist, and then through that could ship it up, you know, to Alaska. But then COVID hit, and there was just the they shut down all the borders, and and everything was locked down for a super long time. And then since then, there's been a lot of other trouble with certain airlines um, that are the the guy that we were going through used to use now you know, did things differently. And so it's been, it's been a pain, yeah. but I think we're finally getting close to, to, to getting our hands on them. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's uh, I hopefully, yeah, hopefully here before too long should have my, my zebra rug back. That's cool. I regret so much. Not, I had a chance to hunt zebra and I opted out. I was hoping to save the money for a kudu. Yeah. And never, never got a kudu and wished, wished I had taken the opportunity to, Oh man, was that was that your first time over there? It was. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. What were like what did you think when you first like I mean, well, aside from it was a bitching long flight. Ah. <laughs> long long trip to get over there. It is a long trip to get over there. Literally from from Fairbanks, I I googled it. I think the you know, whether it's Cape Town or whatever like south the southern coast of South Africa is as far on land as you can get like any any like you know, inhabited land is it's as far as you can possibly get on the planet from Fairbanks. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it took us a good 24 hours of actual flight travel, I think, yeah. give or take an hour. Um, we went through Dubai, and then, okay. and then Joburg, and then Windhoek in Namibia. So did you guys go from, go, you L- guys I went think, west? Let's see, where was, I'm trying to remember, I think we went through L.A., maybe? I don't remember where we stopped in the States, but Anchorage, United States somewhere, and then straight shot to Dubai, long flight. Oh, yeah. And then and then Dubai to South Africa, and then a little flight, short flight, 45 minutes or something like yeah. that, hop over to Namibia. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't too bad, and the, the airlines are nice. Yeah, I flew, because uh, I wasn't bringing any guns or anything, I, I flew British Airways okay. over, flew from... Seattle was like a 10-hour overnight to London, and oh, then cool. like 10 hours there, and then another like 11-hour overnight to, um, oh, it wasn't Johannesburg, it was um, Durban okay, on the coast, and yeah. then another like 40, like I said, 45-minute flight over to Port Elizabeth. Okay. Um, but yeah, that was... It was pretty eye-opening, man. The London airport, like, it wasn't. I didn't feel like it was marked out very well. You know, oh, really? trying to like figure. It took me a while to like get my best. <laughs> good thing I had so long because I, you know, you're trying to figure. It, it didn't feel like it was marked really well, and it wasn't like a language barrier or anything. Right. But um, you know, where do I need to go? It was a learning experience, and then I, uh, hindsight, I should have just checked into one of like bought you know eight hours at one of the club like yeah through the clubs with have little places you can lay down and mm-hmm. sleep or something because i was hurt and i don't sleep good on planes anyway mm, yeah and so yeah i was trying to walk to like exercise my legs and my legs were hurting and then you know i'm just dog tired and those term like those international terminals there they're not designed for you it's not like seattle where you can go like find a corner to lay down in right you know, it's just <laughs> packed with people to the hilt, and uh, but no, it was, it was it was good. And then yeah, once I finally got there, it was once like, you got there, yeah, boots on the ground. It's and then I had to wait. On. I got I was like the first person to get there, uh-huh. and then there was going to be like a, a flight like three hours later. Everybody else was coming on in, and I got in there at like nine o'clock in the morning. So, and that was uh, Port Elizabeth was like a real small airport, kind of like yeah, kind of like Fairbanks, yeah. Yeah. Kind of that, that size of an airport. And uh, luckily they had a restaurant there and it was funny. I was just total green going into it. I had no idea what kind of food or anything. And, you know, I'm like, well, that looks like a good place to get something to eat. <laughs> and <laughs> it had a big cheap. old avocado burger. Oh my goodness, dude. It was, everything's just dirt cheap. Yeah. It was like, you know, eight bucks for a huge burger and... And that's the airport the tourist that's price. That's the airport tourist price, yeah. I uh, I think on the way back in Johannesburg, I was in, uh, in Joburg's big airport, and, you know, they have, uh, I can't remember if I eat, if the restaurants were, like, outside of the security, or I can't remember, because I, but regardless, they got, like, a big air restaurant row yeah. there and went through, and um, it was some steakhouse place that was, like, Trying to be like an American steakhouse. Mm-hmm. Was this where was this? It was in Johannesburg. That was in Joburg. Yeah, that is. I think that's outside the security. I don't remember either, but I know where you're talking about. Yeah, I and mean, there's a whole bunch of restaurants over yeah. there. Yeah, and uh, and you go around, do you know, 
buy a couple touristy things. And I bought some, you know, we stopped at a tourist shop there in uh, Port Elizabeth too. But uh, we, yeah, in the airport. I, I, What I'm getting at is I had a huge, like, plate-sized T-bone calamari and a couple, like, tall beers for, like, $12 or $15. Nice. Yeah. I was like, this is living. Yeah, that's the way to go. Yeah, we, we ate pretty well over there. It was fun. I don't know about you, but Africa was something that I dreamed about doing my whole life. Like, I'd been reading African hunting books, kind of like hunting in Alaska, just like it's it's a hunting well, I was reading a your I was reading your African hunting stories <laughs> on your phone when we were goat hunting. I remember some of the capstick yeah, stuff. Yeah, right. Good old capstick. Yeah, that's kind of, that's become a tradition of mine when I'm, yeah, um, on my hunting trips up here, and it's cold and it's wet. Yeah, I I have a bunch of Peter Hathaway capstick books on my phone, and I'm reading about the hot, dry, dusty, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> African Sahara. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. It's definitely it was something I'd read plenty about, but I didn't really have the oomph to. I remember go. you saying that you're like, I don't get it. I don't. I don't know what it just does it doesn't appeal to I me. i didn't feel the draw yeah. you know and it was yeah and i i know i've mentioned it before on here but it took me it took me like i took like a day to decide if i when i got the call be like hey do you want to go do this yeah i started thinking i was like five days i was like it's gonna be like four days of flying or traveling right you know i was like do i really want to do this just to you know, but oh man, I'm so glad I did. Oh, it, I'm glad it, you did too. It caught me. Yeah, it. Yeah, I caught the bug for it big time. I I can't wait. To I go still back. like every you know every once in a while. Man, I just I want to go back. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait. I doesn't even have to be anything fancy either. Like I'd go do like coal shooting planes game and you know get a couple because a lot of the planes game stuff even you know where I went anyway kudu and. Gims buck and stuff like that's like i mean like 12 1500 bucks a you know animal mm-hmm. as what you know the trophy fee compared to like you know oh if you want to go on a guided elk hunt or mule deer hunt or something like that you know and they're they're different experiences very different but i was i kind of i did, had decided to go into it with the attitude like that i'm just gonna not have any expectations and just have fun and boy was it fun i mean i knew you know granted anytime you can you can drink beer every night and <laughs> drive around and and hunt all day and shoot stuff and i mean like you're gonna have fun right right but um it was really cool and i got to got to learn a lot and just see all kinds of stuff that it didn't really expect or know about to see you know it's it's yeah. it's different when you're there walking through it and seeing it um i thought a couple of things that stood out to me you know it's just the polar opposite literally and figuratively from alaska hunting right mm-hmm. and the the hunters over there it seemed like in in one sense like uh, we're way more hardcore than most hunters in other parts of the world i, I that's, yeah. That sounds like a jerk thing to say, but like Alaska, the logistics of Alaska are just different and you, you put stuff on your back and you pack it out and you, you're in the middle of nowhere and you rely on yourself and uh, you hike up big mountains and like you work hard for stuff a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that sense, you know, the, uh, and I think, you know, I don't have a good 
sense of of all, all the hunting in Africa. Yeah, right. I've only been there once, yeah. and and there's a lot of different experiences to be had. I'm sure, but. From what I saw, you know, from the physical side of it, all right, yeah, you're, you were not pushing yourself as hard. Oh, we never would pack out a, an animal, right? They would, they'd be like, "What are you talking about? We're yeah. gonna put it in the truck." They're like, "We can get this. <laughs> we can get this Land Cruiser yeah. anywhere. It'll be fine." Um, but on the other side of that coin, they had so much experience and such a depth of knowledge because their their animal density. Is oh, crazy. crazy. That's what that, that's the first thing I noticed. I got to you know we were staying in these little hut you know basically thatched roof you know brick mud type yeah. huts that they're really nice. I mean pretty skookum. And got in there and they had um, you know Leica was one of the, the nice sponsors for the trip. You know they had binos sitting in the room you know and. So naturally, the first thing I do, get in after all this traveling, you know, take a shower, get out there, sit on the porch with the binos. And I'm like, there are animals everywhere. Yeah. It's just something you don't, you don't see up here, you know. In times where, times and places where there are animals everywhere, there's probably not going to be tomorrow. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, but it was just, and the variety, you know. And granted, like, everywhere's a little different in the, just the way wildlife exists in parts of Africa is it's just different than here. It's not the same. Not at all. But yeah, I, I was blown away by the amount and like variety of stuff. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> you know, those are some zebras over there and right. I've seen one of those. I know what that is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so just imagine living over there and hunting over there, the kind of just day to day experience you would get, you know, we, you know, hunting here in Alaska, if if you put half a dozen animals on the ground like that, you're like, man, I had a busy fall. Oh, you know? yeah. Like that was a lot of, a lot of hunting. Oh, yeah. Um, and that might be an afternoon in Africa, yeah. right? <laughs> well, the first, uh, yeah, you know, the first day, the first whole day I was there and it was a little aggravating to me because I'm like, I just flew literally halfway around the entire world, got here. You know, and I figured, it was like, all right, well, we're not, you know, first evening, we're not going to do anything. Like, we'll get our rifles. Well, I figured the first afternoon, we'll get our rifles, we'll slide them in, we'll go hunting tomorrow. Sure. And it's like, nope. That evening, you pick your, you know, they had like a variety of Bergara, which was cool because I hadn't got to mess with those before. Yeah. And I ended up being very impressed. Yeah. I had Um, a hunter with one of those last year. It was cool. And, you know, just... And it, most, it was mostly European hunters, one other guy from the States, and everyone kind of picked, is picking through their, and they're like, are you going to pick a rifle? I was like, I'll just get what, you know, it's not that important to me. So I, I grabbed one when everybody else kind of had their, got their pick of the cool rifles, you know, and uh, then it was like, oh, well, tomorrow morning we're going to do a, you know, they when they wanted to like show, we we're gonna zero go check our zeros on the rifles, and you know they were gonna it's Norma ammo, so they were gonna okay. do some you know soap block demonstration of these bullets were shooting. Fun, which was cool, but I'm like, dude, we need to go kill something yeah, right now. Shoot more than soap blocks. <laughs> and uh, so that evening, finally, we got to got to go hunt, and I I killed a bless buck um, you that that evening. And then the next day, so the first whole day of hunting, this is what, like, 
my digression gets to, I killed a U Impala, and there was two guys in the truck. So the other guy, I can't remember what he killed, but I killed a U Impala, a Bless Buck Ram, and then at lunch, and he killed he killed something. I think he killed a Bless Buck U. At lunch, I killed three baboons from the porch. I remember that story. That was something else. Oh, that was something else. Talk about lucky. <laughs> like a lucky wind call, man. That was yeah, unbelievable. Like, quote, best slash luckiest shot I've ever made. It was like, I think like 814 yards or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's so crazy. But you have to be good enough to have luck help you, right? Like, yeah. you got you to gotta know what, to, what you're dope doing and, to get in the, the dope right The dope in the wind was the lucky part. I could just see the mirage, and I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'll just put that dot about three feet to the left of his head. Um, anyway, so three baboons at launch, and we go pick all them up. And then, so that's five critters. And then... We, I'm like, I'm done. I'm cutting myself off. <laughs> like, I gotta make this last couple more days. Yeah, try to soak it up because we could get we could get one like big trophy planes game animal. It was like we could pick from like a zebra, kudu, gemsbuck, or um, hartebeest. Okay, cool. And wildebeest I, maybe or something or and a wildebeest. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So there's five we could pick from. And I, you know, the, you know, love to shoot a big kudu, but it was kind of, it was in October. So like they weren't rutting, they were like super nocturnal and they're like, yeah, you probably, you know, I think one guy saw one, like could have shot one, a, a big bull, but he didn't want to shoot it out of the back of the truck, which whatever, you know, floats your boat. Yeah. Um, anyway, but I was thinking like zebra or, or Gim's buck. So anyway, but. I'm like, I'm done. So we, we park, you know, behind this bluff that overlooks a whole, you know, target rich savannah, just critters running around everywhere. And I left my rifle in the truck intentionally. Oh, no. <laughs> oh right. Okay. We walk, you know, it's 20 yards over. Um, the guy I was with, the guy was in the truck, you know, PH tells him, all right, we'll shoot that ostrich. And it was like 300 yards. And he was at the time, cause I think they were one rifle short. He was shooting a blot, like the PH's blazer 300 he hits an ostrich like in the foot oh. at 300 yards and then runs out of ammo as the thing's running away. Oh, jeez. An ostrich can cover some turf. They sure can. And uh, so. Long legs. The PH tells me, go, Tyler, go you know, run back to the truck and get your rifle and shoot that thing. So you, you already had the rep as the guy who could hit stuff I at guess. this point. And uh, so I grab it run back, lay down on a rock and we get a range. And I mean, I'll, I'll basically maxed out the turret. It was like eight, fifty, eight hundred fifty yards or something. It was, we were doing it all in meters. So I was just, it was seven, 780 meters or something like that. And same thing. I'm just like max out the turret, hold three feet into the wind, touch it off and like hit the dirt. <laughs> I'm like, so awesome. so that still counts as yours. And the pH is like, <laughs> all right, we'll shoot that one, you know? So I shot one that was closer, like 500 yards, and shot that one, and then uh, that was all, yeah. So I think it was eight animals the first day. I'm like, you got to pump the brakes, Tyler. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, anyway, that's a, that's a long roundabout way of saying, yeah, like you get a lot of experience stocking, and, and everything, the stock's different. It's like, well... 
because those critters, they get hunted for like nine months of the year mm. every day. And so it, you know, they're, they're switched on pretty good. And the way, you know, the way the different animals react to getting bumped and, you know, just everything you do is a little bit different. And those guys, they know what's up and they know what animals are going to do. They know when it's time to just be like, all right, we're going to go just find something else. And, uh, that was pretty, pretty impressive to me, but yeah, you get, you get, those guys get a lot of experience in a short amount of time. Cause I'm like, yeah, if I could pick four or five guys to come do this with me, they'd have to drive around with a flatbed trucks behind, <laughs> behind right. the truck just to haul back all the carcasses. You know, stack some bodies here. Yeah. No kidding. We didn't bring guns when we went down either. Uh, when I say we, my hunting buddy Casey and I. Uh, just because there was a lot of paperwork involved and yeah. when we ended up going down it was kind of semi-short notice um, like like four or five weeks notice yeah and so we used we used the ph's rifles that he had down there so he had this old mauser 308 and then a remington mile 700 bdl like woodstock yeah know, 223 and uh that's what we were we were using to hunt everything because yeah, we weren't doing any like dangerous games mm-hmm. so um, that's what I used it was a 308 on yeah, everything. Right. And so the first day we go and we, we, uh, get to, uh, confirm zero on both the guns, which I was grateful for. I was like, I don't know how cowboy these guys are going to be. Yeah. Gl- I was really relieved when they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll go sight it down. Yeah. It's like, oh good. And, uh, it was important because the first thing we were doing was helping cull a bunch of spring buck. And, and he, they want and you to shoot them in the head, they right? They wanted freaking headshots at, you know, these things that are, you know, whatever, two, 300 yards away usually and, and, and running. And yep. they're the size of a North American antelope. For those of you who are, you know, there's a bunch of antelope out and a bunch of different names, but Springbuck yeah. looked basically like a North American antelope. And, uh, today he wanted headshots and he was going to be selling the meat at market. Yep. Right. And, uh, so it was a good thing we got the guns dialed in. They both shot great. And uh, as uh, after a couple days, I asked uh, him, I was like, what's the story, you know, behind these guns? How many uh, animals do you think this 308 has killed? And uh, he's like, well, I've actually had that since I was 13. Oh, man. And, um, and you know, a lot of my hunters use it and stuff. He's like, that's eh, probably about 7,000 animals something like that geez had he had to replace the barrel at all <laughs> he hadn't shot the barrel out oh, yeah yeah it was still shooting good yeah so some of those some of those three like especially 308 that's you know pretty mild right you can you can get a lot of a lot of rounds i know like i was shooting one before i got my service rifle i was borrowing one from a local guy here that literally kept a log every round shot through that gun cool you know and uh which is a responsible thing to do if you're you know like a shooting you know whether even prs type stuff like yeah. you keep a log and with the rounds have been through your barrel so you know when to start watching for throat wear and stuff like that but that i mean the one 223 had shot like 11 was it like eleven thousand rounds nice still shooting still shooting really good nice um so it varies you know you're not most cartridges, you know, like a mild cartridge, like a three hundred eight, you're not going to shoot a couple thousand rounds and burn the thing out if you're right shooting periodically. Right, and I, I imagine he wasn't doing a bunch of just burning name no. on targets. <laughs> no, man, that's that's nuts. Yeah, we uh, we could have 
we could pick as one of our other choices. We could pick between a spring buck and an ostrich, and I ended up shooting two ostriches. So right. <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna pick between those two, that's probably the way to go. Ostrich is pretty unique. Pretty yeah, cool. they were they were cool. Um, and I ended up like ripping a bunch all them wing feathers. Oh, nice. when we brought them back to the skin and shed, I just ripped a bunch of wing feathers out of there. And you know, I was talking to PH. I was like. I was like, I think I'm just going to stick these in my bag. He's like, yeah, he's like, as long, you know, just tell me you bought them at a tourist shop. Right. And it never ended. It even was an issue. I declared everything. Right. You know, coming back, the one they just took my bill on because I didn't know you could take. You oh, yeah, that's couldn't a big bring, one. You couldn't bring nope. that stuff back. <laughs> I figured, oh, because I bought it in the airport that it would be fine. Yeah, they sell it right there in the airport. In the airport, yeah. Yeah. They call it biltong. I always remembered reading about biltong and, yeah. you know, figured it was more of a, like a, a bush thing, but nope, they got it in the airport. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and like wild game biltong. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'd bought like some wildebeest and right. a couple different kinds to, you know, have my kid try it and stuff, but whatever. It just is what it was. So I, I had declared it so I didn't get in trouble or nothing, but. Yeah. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Do you get to eat a bunch of the wild game? Oh yeah. There? And that, that, and that was the food, the food over there impressed me big time. I mean, I, I didn't, wasn't sure what to expect, you know, like I, some like, like I I don't care for Indian food at all. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, some other food, like, I mean, I I like a wide variety of food, but yeah, I just didn't know what to expect. And I was thoroughly impressed. I probably put on 15 pounds when I was there in five days. Um, very like meat and potatoes, yeah, steak and bread and just really good food. And everybody was super cool too. Yeah, that's awesome. Which I guess they better be if you're <laughs> when you're in camp hunting, you want, you know. But yeah, no. but it's not always the case. No, they see everybody, and I got along real good with our with my the PH I was hunting with Scott Birchall. He's a, he's a pretty cool dude. That's awesome. And yeah, I'd love to go back go back and hunt with him. And there's just a, so much stuff you could do. Yeah, you could have a lifetime like, and not have all the experiences, like, right? I mean, and like he'll predator call jackals, like doing that. Oh, Even cool. spending a couple of days just hunt, like with just being sneaky and hunting baboons around because there's baboons everywhere, but right. they're they're wicked spooky. They they're are smart. I never shot one. Um, we weren't specifically targeting them but i kept my eyes open i wanted to i wanted to smack one yeah and and uh when we were driving around like they'd hear you coming and oh yeah your truck comes comes over the hill they're running at 600 yards yeah you know i mean i i shot those three the first day but i i ended up i didn't end up getting any other ones but i warmed up my rifle barrel on like that that was fun you know because i always rode shotgun um which you're on the left side in south africa yeah but uh you know, I rather than, I didn't really want to sit in the back of the truck. I wanted to talk to the PH and, you know, I had a million annoying, stupid questions to ask them and stuff like that. Yeah. So, but, uh, you know, and even being across the world, it's a little liberating just riding around in the truck with a right, you know, with a rifle right next to you. And, <laughs> you know, we'd pull over the hill and baboons would take off and he'd stop and I'd throw her out on the side view mirror and, <laughs> And I mean, I came pretty close on a couple of them, but yeah, all 500 yard running shots are not easy. No, no, (laughs) that's fun to try. I thought it, I thought it would be, it would, it would be fun just to be a little sneakier and you, you know, you could, you know, park and walk up on different water holes and stuff like that. Yeah. But, uh, 
And yeah. over there, those critters are like rodents, kind of, right? They're they're little, oh, they're, they're little troublesome savages. Yeah, they're pretty pretty disruptive. They uh, and it was like because they had told us we could shoot as many baboons for free, you know. And they're like, yeah, most people don't ever even get a shot at one. So and there was a couple. Of, I think me. I know one other one got killed, but. Uh, it was right at the end of the season, and I know in the off season they said they get in their um, boma, which is it's like in in camp. It's kind of a building, I would call it, but it's not really. It's got an open center with a big fire in the middle, but they you know have got their barns where you eat dinner and everything. Yep. But they get in there and tear stuff up and tear up the thatch roofs around camp, and you know, and they're I guess they're tough on on like uh, nesting birds and right. And, and, uh, they'll eat, uh, I saw it, which I actually saw a video one eating an Impala fawn. Oh, wow. Just ripping them up. You know, they're pretty predatory, I guess. Um, yeah, they, that's what I they heard. said at times, you know, I'm sure it's not super common, but you know, at least maybe back in the old days, they would like steal, like each kids and stuff like that. Babies. I heard that too. I, I, I assume it, that that would happen. It makes sense. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it also makes sense that that's the kind of stories that would propagate yeah. whether it <laughs> yeah, happened or whether not. Whether it did or not. But you know, they are nasty, man. They're I know and then you just watch you know, like even the track, you know, everybody's super careful about washing their hands after handling them. Right. Just kind of a n- dirty. nasty, dirty kind of critter. But uh were there snakes in October? As oh we, yeah. Cuz that's getting into winter, right? Like that's it's starting getting to into some springtime or springtime. Yeah, right. Yeah, right, right. we. Uh, I had one that they said. Well, I was walking back to my hut and I kind of turned the corner and seen a tail slither off, and I'm like, nope. <laughs> so it took me a while. And later, I was asking one of the guys, kind of describing it, and he's like, "Yeah, it sounds like a cobra." Mm. You know, and it, um. So then we we killed a puff adder. Oh, cool. when we were driving around, which I guess those kill more people than anything because I guess they do. I guess the puff yeah. adder is kind of a lazy snake. Like yep. they cobras tend to just they don't want nothing to do with you. They'll get out of your way, feel you coming on the ground. But I guess a lot of people step on those puff adders and they're super deadly. And they sun themselves in the str- in the trails and stuff. I guess. Yeah. So that yeah, just... and they're pretty well camouflaged too. I mean, they're a cool snake. That's one thing I regret is not not having them just tack that hide out and dry it and right roll it up and bring it back you know yeah african snake would be cool so if i you know if slash when i ever get it back you know do a little snake hunting that would be cool put that on the bucket list when we went it was but we did July. see a, we did oh, see ahead. a cobra too you did um, um he was we were on a stock and the track uh, the our tracker was sitting in the top of the truck glassing and spotted it there were some crows chasing it huh? and chased it over to this little acacia, like lone acacia tree. And we went over, you know, our peach like, we're going to go over and kill that thing, you know, cause he hates, hates them. <laughs> and, uh, so we go over there <laughs> he's like, he's like, all right now. And there's like no brush. I mean, it's like very short type of brush. He's like, all right now, be, you know, be careful. They're pretty, they're pretty fast. <laughs> it was like, don't worry about me. I'll be 40 yards back here with my rifle. <laughs> you know, running if the thing starts coming my way and we, I must've gotten a hole or something cause we could never, ah. could never find it. But, uh, 
Yeah, it was there was there were some snakes around. Believe me, I was paying attention everywhere I put my feet. Uh, it's an, I'm way the, more scared of snakes <laughs> than bears. Same. Like on the one hand, it's cool. Like that's such an African experience, and it's fun to see that stuff. But at the same time, I hate the idea of having to just watch your step and where you sit down to that degree. Yeah. Like that. That's yeah. So many people are like, how do you how do you go hiking or camping in bear country? Like that's that's crazy or that's so scary. And like, man, you just get used to it and you just learn the rope. The, yeah. You, know, you just learned the ropes. It's not that big a deal. Uh, and it's kind of hard to step on a bear. You yeah. Know? <laughs> or sit down on one by accident. Yep. Oh man. Yeah. It was, it wasn't, cri- it wasn't a crippling anxiety, but right. it, it was sure. definitely something I was, I was paying attention, attention to. I made sure and like looked every, before I sat down anywhere or put my hand down anywhere. Yeah. Um, and that's probably just good sense, like, I would think. Like, Yeah. Uh, it just, I'm sure it eventually becomes, like. Second nature. Just, like, right? stuff that you, you know, that we do and think about. For bears. Without even thinking about it, you know. Yep. Yep, exactly. And so it doesn't end up being something to worry about. I thought that was cool talking to them, uh, the, the PH and his family. Like us, you know, would we have our our bear stories, you know, or dealing with a Wolverine in camp or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is like, dude, yeah, it's just stuff that happens if you spend enough time in the country yeah. and they've got so many more types of animals and yeah. so many crazy stories. And, uh, like a Cobra, his wife, who's this sweet little German lady, um, you know, was telling us how she, you know, she killed a Cobra in their living room. You know, with a broomstick one time, she turned around and it had just come right through the door and was like uh, half, it was a, you know, kind of half its body was up in the air. So it was yeah. like three or four feet up off the ground and, and right there, boom, turned around. There it is in the living room. And she's Jeez. like, guys, get out of here. Grabs a broom, <laughs> Kill, kills it, man. you know, it's like, holy cow. No, yeah. Mine was telling it you, um, Pete Scott was telling a story. He was. He was a little younger, and he's a he's a young guy, and he's probably twenty four now. But he's like, yeah, a couple of years ago, I was riding a dirt bike around you know the trails around there, and had a three hundred mag on it, you know, slung across his back, and or it was a four wheeler, maybe either four wheeler or dirt bike, whatever he's driving around. Comes around the corner, and there's a cobra coiled up in the middle of the road, and he slams on the brakes, the thing pops up and pops the hood out. He says, "Put my three hundred out," and as soon as I got the head, the scope touched her off and blew, you know. Like I hate those things. So cool. Yeah. Crazy though. The black mamba seem kind of wild too. Yeah, that seems like something I don't really. I could go my entire life without messing with. (laughs) So aggressive and spooky and fast. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them guys are saying like, yeah, even sometimes if you like almost run one over, they'll chase the truck. And they told us a story like that. They they were driving down the highway, and there was a black mamba on the road, and he's like, I'm gonna run this thing over. And it reared up and struck the windshield. Jeez. <laughs> and they're um, going at like highway speed. Jeez. Yeah. Nuts. Then you're like, roll them up, boy. <laughs> like like, a, like a, a Chevy Chase, whatever, right. vacation. All right, roll them up. <laughs> yeah. Pretty cool, though. It's I definitely can't wait to go back. My buddy Casey went back this summer. Oh, cool. I was supposed to go with him. We had been basically since we went last time, yeah, we, were, you were we were planning the on trip. the next trip. And then 
uh, got to the point where I was just like, man, I, it's not responsible for me to spend all this money on this hunt. <laughs> yeah. I, need, I need to save money right now. Yeah, you and, and me so both. You and me both, man. Didn't go, but I need to come into some money. But uh, don't we all? <laughs> yeah. yeah, someday I'll someday I'll by hook or crook I'll make it back over there. Yeah, but which it may sound silly. You're listening to, like to listen to an Alaska podcast talking about how cool it is over in Africa, but right. it really is. Even though. Uh, it's a fun change of pace. You know, like I said, the hunting is so different. And for some people, that might be a turnoff. Yeah. You know, uh, and that's well, okay. It's different strokes. And but. you could also make it, but you can also make it like almost what you want it to a degree. If you like just want to do spot and stock stuff. Right. You know, you can, they will accommodate you, you know, and you'll see a lot of critters. You'll get a lot of stocks, you know, if you want to do this or that. Like there's. Just a wide variety of of cool stuff. So, um, yeah, super cool. Yeah, no, it was it was it was mind blowing, and you know maybe we get used to like all the you know there's people that think that way about Alaska because we you know we do have a tremendous amount of opportunity here, but it's just it's just different. Like the fun to work ratio is extremely <laughs> is extremely favorable down there. Right. Right. But, <laughs> fun to work ratio. Anyway, exactly. do you got what do you got? You got anything planned for this year? It was kind of. I was glad you you got a hold of me. Yeah, being man. up in town working. Um, I didn't get to chase bears this spring as much as I'd like to. Uh, generally, I've been so busy. I did uh, take my girlfriend out for her first bear hunt, uh, which was cool. She shot her first caribou just last fall and grew up small game hunting but never done any big game hunting so she's starting to get nice starting to get into it and that's been fun and uh we we went and did some spot and stock out in Catchmack bay and uh that was fun nice i was trying to just find some new territory and was exploring a little bit yeah and, and uh did get her up on one bear but it just never gave us a clean shot it was yeah. all, it was working its way down the beach and it hung up in this one spot and it's kind of always behind this little hill and a boulder and she was sitting on the gun, all rocked and you know, rock and roll, ready to go. But it never gave her a clean shot. And then it went up in the brush, and I was like, I, "It's going to come back out on this beach line and just sit still." And sure enough, it did. But it came out like right where we were at, so it was oh. like twenty five yards away. And it, you know, at that point, it knew something was up, and it would never break the brush line. And so yeah. you could kind of see it, but just couldn't get a clean, no clean shot. Yeah, yeah, and especially at that level, you don't want to push the issue no. of no. I want it to be very uh, not stressful. Yeah. You know, and be a good experience mm-hmm. that first time around, right? So, yeah. I think, if anything, it's probably better that way. You don't want to make it too easy right off yeah. the bat, right? Like, she's <laughs> yeah, like, I don't it- get it. What's the this hunting stuff? Yeah. Like, what's what's the big deal? Got to got to build some appreciation for yep, it. Yep, yep, that's for sure. Make, make her want it. So... Uh, so yeah, that's, that's about all the bear hunting I got to do this spring, unfortunately. Um, but coming up this fall, actually, even, even in July, I'm going to take my brother up caribou hunting. Nice. Which will be fun. And, uh, pumped about that and try to get him caribou and then it's going to be a, a, a year of caribou. Um, my girlfriend's got a caribou tag again. I'm going to try to get her one. I pulled 45, so I'm going to go hunt that. Nice. And then I'm going to guide for moose, just one, one hunter. Nice. In September. And then I'm trying to, still trying to figure out my schedule where I plug in a sheep hunt and uh, I think a deer hunt later on in November. So that's what it's looking like so that's far. It's always a challenge, man. <laughs> yeah. Time time and money 
Yeah. Yep. It's, well, yeah. And, and there's always more, and there's it, always more you would like to do than you can do. So you just, it's like I keep telling myself is you just got to be thankful for the, what you, what you can do. And I, amen. you know, like I, I was able to kill another bear, another black bear this last weekend and I'm pretty much done. I can't. Yeah. That's so I, cool, I cleaned that one bait up because it was already basically cleaned up for me anyway. You know, I just can't keep up with it at this point. Didn't have the time to, Yeah, yeah. you know, irks me a little bit not being able to, not being able to get, you know, I've had quite a bit of grizzly action, but just haven't uh, had the time to do it, to do it right and yeah. do it the way it needs done. But, you know, can't complain. When does uh, it start to dry up around there? When do they start rubbing and... Oh, they're already, most of them are already rubbed. Okay. But I don't really care that much. Okay. I just would like to get a, like a mature grizzly and help out the moose. Clean and, them out a little bit. Yeah. 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 There's so many of them up there that, um, yeah, you, you see, anyway, you get pictures of lots of them. They're, they're around killing them is a different, <laughs> killing them is a different story, but, right. um, right. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I missed out on baiting entirely this season. Uh, my hunting buddy, Casey, he did a little bit of baiting just for the last, I guess, three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, this would be the third week. He just went out and they they got another bear off there. Because uh, he was just in Africa. Oh, so we yeah, didn't yeah. do the, the full baiting that we'd normally been doing the last couple of years. And um, and I've been super busy this spring as well. And so. Yeah, but he, but he got out and smacked a couple. Nice. Or, or he, he, at this point, it's more like bringing other people out to get them a bear. Yeah. But, yeah seems like i've gone through that cycle a little bit i get well I, it depends on how much time I, if i got plenty of time you know they're there to i don't mind doing that but when time's tight it's like i've come full circle and i'm just like hunting <laughs> hunting bears like i'm angry at them <laughs> you put know, some bears on the ground which whatever oh yeah you're well the last the last bear i i killed uh i wasn't even gonna with i wasn't even really gonna kill her because i it was so late. I was just like, uh, and I'm going to have to deal with a bear tomorrow, which I, it's fine. You know, I, I like having the meat and, and, you know, you make a decision. You, you know, don't, it goes back to the whole, don't, you know, don't shoot something you don't really want to shoot. But sure. so, but I tend to be a pushover pretty easy. Anyway, I, I, I was, I was going to sit till like one o'clock in the morning because the grizzlies that have been coming in had always been coming if they were coming in on, in a night they were coming in before midnight yeah so it was like twelve thirty, and this bear came in and watched her for a long time and i'm like eh, that's a big old big old sow grizz uh black bear black bear okay and sitting there yeah i mean i'll shoot i'll shoot a sow grizzly you know no 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 questions asked if if they're you know unless i really think i got a good crack at a bit of big boar um yeah just uh just to get some out of there mm-hmm. but uh it was like yeah finally at like 130 i'm like i kind of want to get out of here you know and i'm like we'll let fate decide yeah. <laughs> and i i huffed at her a couple times to try to like scare her off she just looked at me and like all right wasn't having I'm it. like all right well i guess you're coming out of here with me and yeah so it was a good way to Good way to wrap up the season. Good. Like we were ta- yeah, talking beforehand, make some sausage. and Heck yeah. Got plenty of fire up the smoker, so. Uh, yeah, man. You've got that system dialed in, it sounds like, now at this point. Yeah, Especially not too bad. Smoker. It's it's workable. Yeah, it's it's working. So um, as my kids get bigger, especially, it's going to be 
I'm going to need to keep the keep it keep a constant keep com- constant flow through the meat through the, through the meat factory to keep everybody fed. But uh, yeah, no, it feels good to be all stocked up and and ready to go. I'll have but, to take some notes from you sometime. I've always uh, pretty much black bears go in the crock pot. Yeah, uh, that's how I roll. I, I love cooking in a crock pot. It's easy. Oh, know, it is good. Yeah, you know, you set it up and come home, and oh, it's dinner time. Cool. Yeah, I liked. Uh, I like corning black bear. Like, uh, it's been a couple of years, but one I had, I saved the hindquarters in the freezer, and I just run them on my bandsaw, mm-hmm. cut them like an inch and a half, two inches thick, in a big round, you know, round roast with the bone in, and then I would corn them. You know, you you brine them in a pickling type of brine corning brine for a couple days and then you know rinse them off and put them in the crock pot cook them till they fall apart then you got corned bear yeah and makes good sandwiches and stuff it's really good the past this year and last year you know sleep deprivation or whatever you know i'll get home and get the thing i usually get them out whole and get home and uh get them scunned and get all the meat cut off them and laid laid out to cool and go get a little bit of sleep and then that afternoon i'll I've been just, uh, you know, chunking them and deboning them and putting them and bagging them to freeze so that I can, I can, you know, weigh out the bags and thaw it out and run it through the grinder. So I haven't done any big chunk meat or I'm sure, uh, I'm sure some meat aficionados might not, might frown <laughs> upon that method of doing things, but yeah, it works for me. So yeah, and you'll get another one. Oh, yep, eventually, yeah, yep, I can get another <laughs> chance. I got, I got piles of, I still got moose roasts and steaks and stuff from last year, so we're in good shape in that department. But yeah. anyway, I better, I better sign off here. My teeth are floating, but, <laughs> but man, good to see you, John. I'm glad you could, glad you could stop by and good to catch up as always. And, uh, yeah, we'll, hopefully it'll be a little, a little more frequent. <laughs> Yeah, it was my pleasure. Yeah, definitely need to make it more often. There's no reason not to. Nope, nope. Well, that's for sure, man. So, all right. Well, if you enjoy listening to the podcast, I appreciate it if you leave a good review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen on. And uh, if you have any comments or questions, you can email podcast at tundertalkak.com. Thanks.